0: Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast.
1: A podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith.
0: For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And we are your co-hosts.
1: This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network.
0: Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Jonathan and our special guest, Tyler Don rosenquist back on... The show this week. Uh, if you didn't listen to the first episode, I encourage you to go back and do that now as Tyler did a great job of kind of setting the scene for what is an honor and shame culture that was very prevalent within the ancient world in which the Bible was written. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I thought it would be fun because I'm sure there's a couple of the uh, Star Wars geeks out there as these two were nerding out with one another about Star Wars and different things I didn't understand. So I thought it'd be fun, you know, if, if you guys wanted to share with our audience, what or who is uh, your favorite Star Wars character?
1: Oh, that gets mm. difficult to, to <laughs> answer.
2: And there are different eras. I mean, oh, yes. to tell you the That's truth, right. Princess Leia was very important to my generation. I was eight years old wow. when the original Star Wars came out and she was gutsy and spunky mm. and everything. Yes. I also like Ahsoka. I really yeah. that? And Han Solo is my forever crush. <laughs> oh oh forever. my <laughs> gosh! Harrison
0: uh. Ford, Han Solo, that one.
2: <sighs> oh. <laughs> oh my god! I actually do not have a Harrison Ford bobblehead anywhere. Wow, it's
0: probably what good. That seems you're... problematic. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it. I know. Not even indie or anything.
0: What uh, the what heck? About, mm. What about you? What about you, John?
1: Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of partial to OE One. um, mm-hmm. just because of the, kind of the, the longevity of wisdom there. Although I, I do have to say, I, I watched the Tales of the Jedi. I don't know if you saw that, uh, Tyler, but mm-hmm. I, I watched it and yeah. it made me really, really, uh, f- empathize with Count Dooku because you yeah, see where he comes right? from and it felt weird because you're like, oh no, no, he's a bad guy. And he just. Killed a member of the council, and he's a terrible person. And yet, you see how he gets there, and you're like, okay. But ultimately, he's he's trying to help. People. Like he he sees people being abused, and he sees justice not yeah. being done because of the rich and powerful. And you or know, because the Jedi their were in the Senate. And it's like, idiots! I, it, how how did you make me feel bad for this guy? That in episode two, I'm like, oh, he's he's bad, right? So <laughs> anyway, yeah, are, no, I anyway. love that.
2: Okay, so. Which Obi-Wan do you like better?
1: Um, I actually like uh, Ewan McGregor's portrayal in the Obi-Wan uh, series. He's excellent. In the Kenobi series, yeah.
2: And when so, he said hello there. Okay, so <laughs> so, yeah, let
1: at let every time.
0: This. Let me get this straight. Time. So uh, Jonathan's favorite. <gasps> Baby Yoda! We didn't mention Baby Yoda! <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Grogan. Wait. I Grogan. think I've totally made a point here. I'm going to make a great point here that Tyler or Jonathan's favorite person was a man of wisdom, and Tyler's like, "Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda,"
2: and <laughs> and,
0: and I have a crush on Jonathan <gasps> Ford. Oh my gosh, I'm Solo. <laughs>
2: so. I'm such a girl.
0: Oh, but hey, we're-
1: So I think I think I think we can we can take uh, what the political. Um, you know kind of portrayal in star wars looks like and the sort of you know rich and powerful culture that that they developed yes. for the galactic senate and everything Ooh. and we can kind of pivot back to today's topic mm. um of honor and shame and culture and the abuse of power I like right it. so maybe we'll we'll try to uh Uh, recapitulate on that, but yes. So yeah, as, as Heather mentioned in kind of this second installment, right. With, with last week's um, Tyler was, was kind of walking through and explaining what a, an honor and shame culture is, how in order for one person to uh, um, gain honor, they have to demonstrate not only that they have it, but that it's greater than someone or something else, right. It's always this sort of comparative thing. It's not that everyone has honor or everyone has the same amount. It's always at the, the expense of someone else. Um, and so today's episode kind of goes a little bit more specific, instead of just, you know, the culture in general, to uh, more specifically kind of zooming in on in uh, Genesis and the story of Hagar. Um, so I think that the first question is, how does the story of Hagar relate to the honor and shame culture? And what do we need to really understand and take away from uh, this narrative story?
2: Well, you know, something I didn't notice ever before until I was teaching it to the kids, is we get into Genesis 16, which is the uh, chapter where, you know, all this, most of the nastiness happens, and we have Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai at that point, who we want to be the good guys. We desperately want them to be heroes. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet, neither one of them ever calls Hagar by her name. They refer to her as my maidservant, your maidservant. She is a thing. She is a tool that Sarai can use, according to ancient Near Eastern law codes, to obtain for herself A child. And Sarai is the most honored woman in the household. Abram is obviously the most honored man. Everyone else is lower than they are. Um, And so Sarai, since Hagar is her slave, uh, Hagar is a tool, really, Hagar is hardly a person. She's not even portrayed as a person until the angel of the Lord calls her by name, blesses her with a blessing that only Abram has received up to this point. But, I mean, we've got a situation where if it happened in modern times with a powerful, rich man um, getting his... Wife's young maid pregnant, we would call it an abuse of power. We'd call it rape. We would if it was our daughter, we'd call it rape, um even if it wasn't anymore. We would see that with the power inequity that Hagar did not have a voice, she could not say no, um. It's an ugly situation. And then we have this problem. We have this very unique problem. Well, what the heck? All of a sudden, Hagar, who has never had any honor in her life, and she is probably in her mid-teens at this point, because it's about 10 years after they had gone down to Egypt, when we assume um, they obtained her. So she would have been a teenager. She'd had no voice, no importance her entire life. All of a sudden, she is pregnant with the heir to the clan. She becomes, in a lot of people, the most important woman in the household. Mm. Yeah. And she starts, I mean, you know, people are looking at her like, whoa, Make way for Hagar. Hagar, do you need me to do anything for you? You know, can I give you any help? Because she's all of a sudden in this liminal state. She's neither here nor there. Her role has not been defined. And that is Abraham's job as patriarch. He is the one who decides the pecking order of everyone. No one else has that power. And so... Hagar does not know what she's doing. Uh, you know, Sarai's an old woman. She cannot have a baby. She has failed at the number one thing that gives a woman honor, and that's not being married. That's having a baby, and specifically a male baby in that culture. She's failed. She, they, they couldn't even conceive of male fertility, infertility. Okay. They figured if you could not have the the men ha- gave the woman the little baby seeds that were just miniature babies, and if the woman was fertile, they implanted in the good soil of her womb. And if she was infertile, you know her womb would kill the baby seed. That's how they thought. So when it says seed, when it says Zara for offspring, that's not a figure of speech. They really, really believed that. anyway so Hagar is in this liminal state she makes the mistake of scorning her mistress Sarai realizing that Abraham has dropped the ball goes to him and saying my misfortune and my suffering be upon you for now that you've gotten my maidservant pregnant she thinks she's better than I am um you know this is all your fault And she's right, because it was Abraham's job in that culture. And she can't go and do anything to Hagar without Abraham's permission, because Hagar's carrying Abraham's baby. It's this really crazy situation. And so Abraham does the stupidest thing in the world. Instead of going and handling it herself and saying, hey, listen, you're still Sarai's slave. You know, you're an incubator, okay? Um, which, as disgusting as it is, that is what we're dealing with here. That was the mindset. Uh, Instead of going to her and getting things cleared up, he told the angriest person in the entire household that she could do whatever she wanted to Hagar. And that Hagar was completely under her power. And so, yeah, Sarai beats the snot out of Hagar. To the point where we have to imagine if a young woman was willing to go off into the wilderness alone with as dangerous as that would be from wild animals, from raiders, from slavers, um, from starvation, from exposure, she must have been in fear for not only her life, but the child's life. And so she runs. And that's a, that's a desperation move. And she goes into the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord finds her, um, what, the well by the wilderness of Shur. And he says, Hagar, slave of Sarai. And so instead of, he addresses her by name first and not by community function. He knows who she is. He knows her name. It's the first time, you know, we've inherited out of somebody's mouth. But he identifies her by her status second. Whereas everyone else up to this point has only called her by her status in the community. The angel of the Lord elevates her. And he says, you know, um... you know, where are you going and what are you doing here? And and she says, well, I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. She says from my mistress, Sarai. She doesn't say that wench or, or whatever. <laughs> because she has been shamed again. Okay? When Sarai reasserted authority and beat her and had the authority and no one on earth would help Hagar, Hagar was back down here again. She was shamed. But God elevates her and he says, "You know what? Go back. It's the safest place in the world for her really. I mean, it wasn't going to get any better." Um he says uh he says, "You're going to give birth to a son and you are going to name him Ishmael." Not Sarai. Sarai would do the naming if that was going to be her son. Just like Who named the children of Bilhah and Zilpah? Leah and Rachel. Bilhah and Zilpah did not name their own children because legally they belong to um, Leah and Rachel. So he says, you will name him Ishmael, and he will be a wild donkey of a man, which sounds insulting, but it really isn't because... Um, wild donkeys were very resourceful. they were very clever. They lived in a chaotic state out in the desert, um, which was you know terrifying for for most people. And he says, you know he's going to be a thorn in everyone's side, but you are going to have more descendants through him than you can possibly imagine." Well, that's the same blessing practically that he gave to Abram. And so not only is the angel of the Lord talking to this lowest of the low who's been just, she's been on a roller coaster, but she is being given the same kinds of promises that Abram. And more than that, Abram hasn't actually received that kind of visitation yet where she's seeing this guy and he's talking to her Abrams had visions Abrams heard from you know the angel. but we don't get this this is a lot more intimate than we've seen anyone get so far and not only is it a woman but it's she's a slave so it's the Lord so, does not see how we see, mm-hmm.
0: so Yahweh restores her honor and
2: gives her even greater honor when she leaves. He restores her child. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And,
0: and and so, if she yeah.
2: would have understood immediately that she, that that child was hers and not Sarai, she would have she would have gotten that immediately.
1: As, as I say, I wanted to to zoom in on a couple things really quick to I think help uh, solidify the gravity of the situation one is because you talked about how terribly sarai treated her and anybody that's listening is going to be like well my bible just says she was mean to her or she treated her harshly right it's like it doesn't really make it sound that bad it's just like oh well she said some nasty things and whatever it wasn't that it wasn't really that bad um but if you actually if so this is where actual word studies i think are, are useful um in, in hebrew you have the word anah here. Uh, which has a wide semantic range. Um, <laughs> never is it just like, "Oh, well, she was mean" or "she was harsh." Um, in in many cases, it's used to mean violated, um, to emaciate, right? To cause someone to basically. It's also even used of yourself for humbling yourself or afflicting yourself during fasting. Right? It's, it's found that way in Isaiah, mm-hmm. for example, and likely is the intended meaning in in the uh, Yom Kippur on Leviticus 16. But the idea is to be. Uh, to be wretched, to be emaciated. And when it's it's one thing to deny yourself because you're fasting, because it's the Day of Atonement, and that sort of thing, it's completely another thing to force that on someone else. So it's not just like most Bibles, I think the NASB, uh says, the New Beckham Standard says, you know, well, she treated her harshly. It wasn't just she treated her harshly, she treated her inhumanely, far subhuman. Um, and then another kind of clue in the text, I think, in, in my reading of it at least, is where it says the angel of the Lord found her, right? It says that she fled. And it doesn't say specifically where she went, it just says where the angel found her, right? So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, which is important, right? Springs and wells, right? You have to remember that. Um, On the way to Shur. I don't know why it needs to mention Shur, except previously in the story of Abraham, Shur is mentioned as the place that Abraham tried to deceive Abimelech. So it's this note, I think this echo of this is Abraham's, Uh, bad behavior, if you will, right, a failure on his part to act righteously is now kind of being repeated in the story of uh, Hagar.
2: Wow. Well, and not only that, but um, when we're looking at that word harshly, I believe it's the same word that is used to describe how the Egyptians treat the children of Israel. Which is like here... Abraham's already been told that his children will be going down and they, you know, in Genesis 15, that his children's children will be, um, slaves and they will be treated harshly in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. And after that, after 400 years, they will come up and possess the land. And you would think that Abraham, Abraham would go, Wow, my descendants are going to be slaves and they're going to be treated harshly. You know what? Maybe I ought to reconsider how I treat my own slaves. Right. And so here they violate and then humiliate and just misuse Hagar. She is an Egyptian. And so then what they did to their Egyptian slave, the Egyptians do to Hagar his descendants. And the Bible always does that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all through the Bible. Yep. And so when we're looking at how Sarai treated Hagar, we have to say, okay, the Egyptians were killing the Israelite babies. That is why I believe that she was beating her badly enough that she was fearing to lose her firstborn son. Huh? Wow. Those, you guys, that was so insightful. Wow. Yeah, well, amazing. I get it out of commentaries. I didn't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, no, right? <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. not smart <laughs> enough to figure this out myself. <laughs>
0: me too, me too. Well, yeah, so, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if I'm a teenager reading this story, what I have to remember is that God uses broken people with messed up lives to accomplish his purpose. And that the Bible is a story, not of people who always did it right, but sometimes they really did it wrong. But maybe, and you can... Adds, I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but maybe the story of Hagar is more about us seeing God's love and care for those who are mistreated than it necessarily oh, is yeah. about um,
2: anything more than that. I don't know. That's righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and- we get that all through scripture.
1: Mm -hmm. this this word for again the the harshness or the 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 oppressive treatment um it is like you said you know genesis 15 it's what was prophesied to abram that his descendants would endure and it's exactly how it describes the egyptian treatment of the israelites in egypt at the beginning of exodus now it's also the next time it's found in exodus is a command against doing it to orphans and widows right the the oh. lower caste, The next time it comes up is Exodus twenty-two. It says that you shall not oppress. Same word, right? Any widow or orphan. Again, that the the ones on the the outside of society, the outcasts, um, the ones that don't have that sort of uh um what do you call it? I keep on to say economic, it's not but uh, familial honor, right? Because they don't have that connection. They don't have that community connection. They're because vulnerable. widow yeah. doesn't have a husband, orphan doesn't have a father, right? In a patriarchal society, you don't have the patriarch who's the head of this this family unit, and so you you don't have that. And so there's this, this explicit command in Exodus 22, and the word is actually repeated three times in Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23. It says, you do not oppress them, and if you oppress them, right, it goes into the, into the next word, uh, verse, God says, I will assuredly hear his cry. And I think that's similar. Well, he then, says, I will hear them, and just like Hagar, he has seen
2: them. Hmm. Well, and then we got Matthew 25, with the parable of the sheep and the goats. I mean, and goodness sakes, all through the book of Revelation, when we're talking about the beast kingdom, it's not an idolatrous kingdom. It's an oppressive hmm. kingdom, and that's what a lot of people get wrong when they're looking at Revelation and they're looking at as. Because they're looking and they're saying, oh, well, Babylon was idolatrous. Everyone was idolatrous. And at certain points, no one was, well, except for the Hittites, who had like a thousand, they would conquer other people and they would bring their gods home with them and worship them too. But no one was more idolatrous than Israel Mm. during, you know, a lot of the years of the monarchy, because they were worshiping everyone else's gods too, just like the Hittites.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, Babylon is described as a military, industrial, wealthy, comfortable nation that oppresses. And then Rome did the same thing. And so we've got those.
0: Wow. So, you know, I'm, uh, again, I'm going to try to land the plane here as we talk about how we can help teenagers best understand this uh, passage. What maybe last... Second uh, thoughts would you want to share with those who are listening?
2: When I teach kids, I always tell them that the Bible doesn't generally tell us what people should have done. It tells us what people did do and that it's okay to look at the Bible and see the really rotten, horrid things our heroes have done, and to always resist the temptation to come up with excuses to make it okay, because that compromises us in the here and now, post-Yeshua, when, thank God, slavery is now abominable to us. You know, we don't think it's okay. We don't think that It's okay for an old man to get, you know, uh, a young woman, you know, pregnant. We, We don't think that these things are okay. And they were normal back then, but that doesn't mean they were good. Abraham would have seen what he was doing as right. Sarai would have seen what she was doing as right. And according to the world that they came out of, Children of Babylon, practically um but it doesn't mean it's good and we're called to be good Mm -hmm. torah tells us what the beginnings of wisdom looked like in a very brutal horrific ancient near eastern culture that none of us would want to go back to live in Mm -hmm. at all ever um but that was the beginnings of wisdom Mm -hmm. that was just the beginning we have to always be better than the culture around us. Mm-hmm. Abraham was better than the culture around him, usually. We have to be better than the culture. And when, when the culture is outdoing us in good works, then there's a big problem. And yeah. There is a big problem. Sure.
0: Yeah. And loving the marginalized and the, those on the outskirts yes. and those who feel alone. You know, sometimes we in the mm-hmm. church can almost uh, perpetuate that problem. And, uh, Oh yeah, I love that, that God saw Hagar. He saw her and he loved her. And this is the call of every follower of Yeshua is to see people and to love them and to meet them where they're at. And so Tyler, this has been a really great conversation with you these past couple weeks. Thanks for uh, grounding us in this biblical story and helping us, to better understand it, so we can teach it to others in the future. So, thanks for joining us for this. Thanks show, a lot. Friends. Yeah. We'll see you next time. It's been great seeing you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go, Obi Wan Kenobi. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>